right. Hey, my name is Shola Richards, and I finished writing the book, Making Work Work, The Positivity Solution for Any Work Environment. Welcome to Please Finish Your Book, the show where busy people became published authors. Listen as they share their story, along with practical tips that you can use to get your book finished. Now, here's your host, whose mom used to call him Pusawuka, but now it's John P. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, authors and soon-to-be published authors for rating and reviewing this podcast. If you haven't yet rated and reviewed this show, it's easier than you think. Here's a trick. For iTunes and iPhone users, search for Please Finish Your Book. Select it, then choose the ratings section. Choose five stars. Yes, five stars. Then type in some great comments. I appreciate you for doing that. <laughs> Pusa Wuka, <laughs> Erica. Okay, now I have to briefly explain this. Yes, that was my nickname that my mom called me when I was a little baby. So that means it's off limits to everyone else. If you call me Pusa Wuka, I probably won't respond. And no, that's not what the P stands for in my name, John P. But it makes me think sometimes if I would get the same respect by using that name, Pusa Wuka. <laughs> Well, today's guest actually had an issue with his name. You'll hear more about that in our interview. He's a workplace positivity expert, a dynamic keynote speaker, a self-professed kindness extremist who is dedicated to positively changing how we work, live, and lead in America. As a busy, award-winning director of training at a top educational institution, he finished writing the book, Making Work Work. The positivity solution for any work environment. So please listen closely as Shola Richards shares his book and his background along with his experience and advice on finishing a book. So I have an icebreaker. I'm just going to ask you some random questions really quick. You just choose one or the other. I call this, which do you prefer? Got it. All right. So here we go. City or countryside? City. Coffee or tea? Tea. Dine-in or delivery? Mm, uh, ah, delivery. Fruits or veggies? Veggies. Fashion or function? Oh, function. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Hmm. <laughs> I switch. I switch from Android, and now I'm, I'm I'm an Apple guy now. All right. Three more: Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Phone call or text message? Phone call. Aha. Uh-huh. Last one: Facebook or Twitter? Facebook. All right. All right. Well, again, welcome to the show. First, we're going to find out about your book. Sure. Making work work. Please tell us, Shola. What is this book about? Okay, so for me, there is so much incivility, I think, at work. And and for those of you that are listening to the phone call, I'm sure you can relate. There's the passive-aggressive people at work who may annoy you, the the bullies who may intimidate you, or even the complainers who drain you. And that's just really a short overview of what's going on. I've seen so many professional lives destroyed by how others treat how others are treated at work, and I wanted to create a book to fix that. Specifically, to sound, this may sound a little bit, a little bit large, but that's how I kind of roll here. My book, the goal of this book is to end perf- generations of professional suffering 
based on how we treat each other at work. And I want to give people the roadmap to lead with kindness and positivity, even when no one around them is doing the same, and to start a movement to make that happen. Wow. Wow. So this book is for employees, management. It's really, since it's about workplace culture, it's really for anyone who's struggling in their work. It's for people who want to work in a great environment that already happens to be in a great environment that wants to make it a little bit better. Hmm. I would probably say if I could really niche down my target audience is around people who don't have positional power, hmm. who feel like they're trapped and they can't make a difference in their work lives. I want to give them the tools to be able to improve it, but it can help anyone who's in an environment that want to improve where they work. Wow. Wow. So tell us, tell us one more thing that we can actually get from this book. This book is going to give anyone the tools to create what I call the solutionist society within where they work. The folks who are workers work is more on the solution versus the problems at work to create an environment of creating more positivity. So if you are at a place where you're like, man, my environment is brutal. I have a bully boss. I have people who don't want to communicate well. I will give you the tools to A, manage that situation, how to, if you're so inclined, improve that situation. And third, to get a group of people who will join you to do the same. This is what this book is about. I think people suffer too long at work. I think that we've had people who spent their 86,000 hours in your lifetime at work wow. surrounded around people who you might not respect or like. And if there's a situation to increase the positivity, what I mean by positivity is not this whole rainbows and unicorns thing. It's about the hard stuff about building resilience and dealing with challenging personalities and being able to lead by example. If we can create an environment where more people are positive at work, the new form of positivity, I think we can change the world. Awesome. Awesome. I love that message. Thanks. Wow. Wow. So tell us, what is your favorite section of the book? Oh, gosh. I like choosing between my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which one stands out the I most know. to you? I know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> today, today, the one that today. really stands out the most to me is there's a chapter in the book that talks specifically. The chapter is called Number One mm-hmm. and the idea of, of being able to put yourself first. We and we spend so much time at work where we're answering phone calls and emails on the weekend and people, they take vacation or they don't take vacation, which is another problem, but they feel like they need to work themselves to the grave. And it starts off with a story of a man that I used to work with who prided himself on taking vacations and he would always give someone a vicious side eye whenever they'd walk out of the office at like five o'clock and like, what are you doing? You slackers. And just to see how his life deteriorated from overwork, chronic overwork, he was laid off eventually, ended up getting heart issues and his kids never knew who he was really, ended up getting divorced. And I think we forget about what truly matters at work. So this chapter to me stands out to me today because there's this glorification of overwork, putting in 50, 60 hours a week where we celebrate, we celebrate the expenditure of energy, but not the renewal of it. The renewal of it makes you look like a slacker. Oh, you want to take a vacation? Oh, you don't want to answer phone calls on the weekends? To me, that just shows a real lack of connection. And that chapter is really about how to connect to what truly matters. Because when we die, no one's, no one, you're not, asking someone to bring in your latest report when you're on your deathbed. No one's reeling in your Mercedes. You can smell the interior one last time or have one last look at your corner office. It's about the people and the relationships. And we can't give that kindness to others unless we give it to ourselves first. 
Sounds like an amazing section, chapter, but amazing story, too. Oh, thanks. Thank you so (laughs) much. Are you enjoying the show so far? Yes. Did you rate and review the show already? No. Oh, okay. You're waiting to hear the instructions again. All right. Well, I'll repeat the instructions right now. You can actually do this while you're listening to the show, like right now. (laughs) For iTunes and iPhone users, search for... Please finish your book, select it, then choose the ratings section. Then choose five stars. Yep, five stars. And then type in some of your great comments. All right, there you are. So thanks again for rating and reviewing this show. Now back to Shola. So Shola, where did you grow up and what stands out about your childhood? Gosh, so I grew up in a small town in Western Massachusetts called Amherst, Massachusetts. It's a college town, country, and it's funny because one of the questions was country or city. I love the country. I'm a country kid at heart. Now that I'm older, I just, I need the hustle and bustle. I like the energy of the city, so I like living here in Los Angeles. So a very small town, I grew up with an identical twin brother and an older brother. Oh, Twin brothers, also an author, coincidentally, an older brother. Actually, he works in D.C. as a vice president of compliance for a major corporation out there. And mom and dad raised us all in a wonderfully loving environment. I, a lot of times, you hear stories like, "Oh, I grew up abused," and other. I grew up in just surrounded by love, and it really made a big difference. What's interesting though about my childhood was that. I grew up bullied as a kid, and obviously not from my parents, they're amazing, but from other kids in my school as I grew up, I had a speech impediment, so I stuttered a lot, and I just looked funny, I had horrible teeth, so thankfully they're straight now, (laughs) but because of that, I grew up bullied, and I honestly believe the bullying that I received as a kid led into my desire. My refuge was the library, so I'd go to the library to read. The bullies don't like to go to the library for some reason. (laughs) That was the one place where I felt safe, and I got my passion for books, and I knew that as I read my authors there, I was like, you know what? One day maybe I'll write a book and hopefully help others who are dealing with bullying as well, and coincidentally, here I am. Awesome. Awesome. And and so besides being an author, what else did you want to be when you grew up? I played basketball as a kid. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. Michael Jordan was in his heyday when I was in college. I graduated in high school. I graduated high school in 1992. So that was yes. when Jordan won his oh, yeah. second championship, if I remember correctly. Oh, yes. And I was like, you know, I really want to be... I played ball in college too, so that was cool. But, you know... It takes a lot to get in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my youthful exuberance was like, man, you know, I realize I'm too short. I'm 6'2", but, I mean, that's short for what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized I got to get a real job, but I wanted to. That was my dream, to be a professional basketball player. Gotcha, gotcha. So then what did you find yourself doing after high school or college that you found yourself spending the most time doing? Yeah, so when I realized that basketball was going to happen, I my second passion, as I was telling to you before the show, that my degrees in psychology, So I have a huge passion for people and understanding how people think and tick. So I wanted to find a job that was around that. So I gravitated to colleges mostly doing career counseling and helping folks matriculate through school in any way that they could, being an academic counselor in some cases. That was really a lot of my passion is to take people, figure out what barriers got in their way. And I was really fascinated by why some people could overcome their, you know, gosh, their, their, their child 
dying or a life-altering illness, and they had the resilience to go forward. And on the flip side, there's some person who got the wrong order at Starbucks, and that would just ruin her day for, like, two weeks, you know? Like, yeah. And to me, I was really fascinated by what separates these folks that can overcome adversity easier than someone else. And I really kind of narrowed my focus down on that and dove into that with both feet to try to figure out what was going on. Wow. 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 Well, tell us about... so. Uh, so your hobby was was basketball. Was that your ongoing hobby after you were in your career? Yeah, that was or one. Was but I, I, I learned some other hobbies. Yeah. Writing it was okay. one. Interestingly okay. enough, it's kind of funny. I I'd write short stories. Oh, they were wow. terrible. Others I thought they were good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean they weren't so bad. But like I, I I want to write some short stories because I thought it would be kind of a cool way to creatively write and get my thoughts out there in a way that's different. I enjoyed writing so much because I enjoyed reading so much and I would see people that had so much talent as writers write and I was like oh man this guy is such a great writer she's so dynamic and I really want to learn how to write one of the first books that I read was uh, and in fact it's over there Awaken the Giant oh, I'm sorry I'm pointing to my oh. bookshelf by the way <laughs> <laughs> um, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins so Tony's my dude and I yes. grew up with him and he's one of the guys that I really deeply admire as a writer and as a speaker of course and as a life strategist I only book that I read prior to that book was books from school, books that are assigned to me for assignments. And I got to read that book. I was like, oh my gosh, this book is actually making me a better person. I've never experienced that before because I was reading a book to take a test. That was the only reason why I read. So then I started writing in that way. I was like, I want to learn how to write to be someone who can do the same thing. And that was my passion to do a short story around some sort of message that someone could read to be like, oh my gosh, that's a great lesson within the story of fiction that I just wrote. And it was really fun for me. And that was a huge hobby that carried me well into my 30s. I'm 41 now, in case anyone's curious, but well into after I graduated college, I'd wow. write. Never really showed anybody because I didn't have the confidence to share mm. it with anybody, maybe like a girlfriend or a friend, but never really... This is before I could just make a blog and post it online. So I would just have it in a shoebox in my closet in my bedroom in my apartment when I was growing up. And now um, it's actually still there. Maybe I'll publish it. Who knows? Hey, <laughs> <hey>. All right. <laughs> now tell us, Shola, about a turning point or a hardship that you feel may have shaped you into the person you are today. Oh, yeah. Um, it's actually younger when I got bullied as a kid. Yeah. A lot of people get bullied, so it's different. For me, I was bullied because of my inability to speak well, and I looked funny, so I was an easy target. And I was really taken aback by the lack of empathy that these bullies had for me, the inability for them to see what type of pain I was in and that how much joy they got from my pain. And I was fascinated by that. I was like, you know what? I need to figure out why are some people like this? Because now that I'm older... Those bullies grow up. Those bullies now grow are now in the workplace. They may share a cubicle wall with you. They may be your boss. They may be a customer who's coming in screaming and cursing at you. How the turning point for me is like as a kid when I sat there and endured this, I was like, I want to help others that are like this. So people get bullied, they usually fall into one or two camps. The one camp is like, I will do anything in my power not to be that guy. Or the other person is like, well, I'm going to be this person because that's the only way to get ahead. So for me, it was A, and I need to figure out how to be that person to help these folks. And even though that was like kind of middle school, junior high school-ish time, 
that stuck with me. And all throughout my life, I've been the guy, my friends call me SVU for Special Victims Unit because I'm always oh. jumping in to like help people. <laughs> so that's kind of, um, that stuck with me as a turning point. I, I would never want to go through that bullying again, but I am so glad that I did, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, makes total sense to me. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, with yeah, us. of course. Yeah, my pleasure. Before we leave this segment of about you, the author, you already mentioned a book, and I want to see if it's the same book. Which book do you wish you were the author of? Oh, gosh. Um, believe it or not, it's not that book. Okay. If I could be the author of any book, and yes. if anyone, oh my gosh, this may be jumping ahead, but no, no. if you were writing a book and you're struggling with writing a book, and yes. I wish I wrote this book, the book is called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh. If anyone is listening to this and they're like struggling to finish their book, and this is like, I am telling you, do yourself a favor, go on Amazon.com, buy The War, not to be confused with The Art of War. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure that's good too. Yes. But The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield awesome. will get your book finished. It is, I wish I wrote that book awesome. because it deals with the challenges that any creative person faces in the process of writing a book. Mm. If I did not read that book while I was writing my current book um, that I just finished, there's no way it would get done. Wow. That book changed my life. Wow. It's the best book in finishing a book ever written. Ever. Excellent. I'll definitely add that to the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, for that. please. It's a phenomenal book. Nice. Nice. Now get it now, people like now. Yes, I agree. Get the book now. <laughs> I recently listened to that book that Shola suggested, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And yes, he's right. It's a must read or a must listen to for those who listen to books. If you don't already have an audible.com account, you can actually listen to this book for free. After signing up for a free 30-day trial at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash free audiobook or click the Audible logo on my webpage at pleasefinishyourbook.com. You can cancel anytime and the book is yours to keep. I've been a member at Audible since the year 2000 and for the past 16 years, I've been listening to books and podcasts every day on my drive to and from work. Audible has over 180,000 audiobook programs to choose from. So go ahead, register today for your free book before the promotion is over at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash free audiobook or click the Audible logo on my webpage at pleasefinishyourbook.com to get started. Okay, Shola, now we're on the last segment of the show where we learn more about what it took to get this book finished. So share with us the short story that led up to this book idea. Looking back on my past being bullied and I would kind of see this trend going on as I entered the workforce, I would see there's a story in my book that's really kind of sad, um, but now it's kind of funny, but it wasn't at the time where I, my very first job out of college, I was told by my boss that he didn't like my name Shola because it's too unique and too weird and too African, which oh, it actually, no. which it actually is, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, so he gave me a name tag to wear and the name tag, uh, was Steve. He's like, listen, you're going to be Steve. No, no way. Yeah, dead up. It happened. Oh. Like, you're going to be Steve now because your name's going to confuse people and turn people off, et cetera, et cetera. Make a long story short, it kind of, it's kind of a fun story. So I want you to read the book to see it. But basically okay. that, that part of that, that story was like, this is just not okay. And 
I realized at that point I needed to do something and I needed to, now this was years before I wrote the book, but I was like, you know what? I really think I need to do something about this. I really need to, to deal with this bullying thing. It's not going away. I thought it was just for kids and now I realize it's in the workforce. In fact, I'll even get more specific. This is actually at the beginning of the book. This is a story I will share with you. I was, um, I was being bullied so much in my current job and this was just, you know, maybe 10 years ago at this point. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I actually thought I was, I actually considered ending my life where I felt that I, that the only way out of being bullied was suicide. And I realized at that point and I actually attempted it. It's a little, it's a crazy story and I'll Mm -hmm. share with you in the, in the book. And when I finally, thankfully it failed or else I wouldn't be here. (laughs) I was like, it's going beyond the grave. Um, That moment was really powerful for me because I was so broken and so, so sad, so dejected. And I, forgot, I will not, I, now that I'm out of it, I will dedicate the rest of my life to helping other people in situations that where they're hurting and in pain. 65 million Americans right now are dealing with workplace bullying in some way. Wow. And that presents itself in numerous ways, PTSD, depression, heart conditions, uh, drenching themselves in alcohol and addictions and things of that nature, and in extreme situations, considering ending your own life. That is a crime against humanity, and I happen to be on the side of humanity, so I'm fighting for that. And I'm here to help anyone who is experiencing that pain. And that book, Making Work Work, was written to help anyone. That's why it says the positivity solution for any work environment, I don't care where you are, there's something in this book that will help you and potentially save your life, as if I wish I had it um, when I needed it back then, and that's what I wrote it for, the broken kid I was 10 years ago. Thank you. Thank you for writing this book. Oh, my pleasure. I, can't, I, I really wanted to help somebody. I really wanted to help. I'm sure it will. Who motivated you through the process of writing this book? Who kept pushing you? Was there anybody? Yeah, yeah, my twin brother. Um, oh. So my twin brother, Dwayne, uh, his name is spelled D-O-Y-I-N. He wrote two books, um, one called Daddy Doing Work. He's a big fatherhood mm-hmm. blogger. And another book called I Wonder. And those two books were really instrumental to me because I saw him go through the process. And when I kept hitting walls, like, man, you can do it. You can do it. And he kept saying, picture your book finished. The, that feeling of holding your book. And I mean, I'm telling you, there's, a, there's no better motivating factor than to actually realize the, the idea of seeing your book. That was a motivation, motivating factor. I'm so thankful that he helped um, to push me when I couldn't go further. And he probably doesn't realize that. Maybe, maybe he does. I tell him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. That's true. Yeah. I'm not going to call him. Right. Yeah, let him know. Awesome. awesome. Now, tell us about your ideal writing schedule and location. Oh, ideal. Okay, so that not what happened, but the ideal. Well, both. Mixture okay. of both. So my ideal situation, I'm a morning person, so okay. I feel like it's quieter in the morning, yeah. but it's weird. I don't necessarily like quiet. I also like, I like noise, so I, I music specifically. So I get my Beats headphones in. I, I need to have surround sound around my ears, just the idea of just noise and, and hustle and bustle. And, and the music inspires me, so I'm kind of like hip-hop, R&B, just like music kind of gets me thinking. It's kind of cool. So sometimes even instrumentals, jazz, but I need some music. I like to write in the morning. I, if I didn't have a day job, my focus would be I'd kind of I would ideally would write from like I'd go to the gym and then I'd go to my office and I'd go and sit and write from like seven to eleven and then I'd go start my day. That's like that would be a dream. 
The reality, not so much. So I work full-time job. Um, <laughs> I'm director of training here at UCLA Health, so that's a big job. I I run a blog called The Positivity Solution, which takes a lot of my time, obviously. And then I am happily married with two very active little girls, seven and four. And the only time that I could find to write that didn't interrupt all the things that I just named was in the middle of the night. So I would... Mm-hmm. I what I would do is I would set my my, my uh, a watch a smart watch that I would set an alarm for at 3 a.m. Sorry, 2:30. So I wow. get up at three and I'd write four days a week. Wow. Yeah, I get up at three and I'd write from three until the kids would wake up and then get them ready for school and lather, rinse, repeat until the book was done. And it actually sounds a lot more intense than it is. Like, oh man, mm-hmm. I couldn't write. I couldn't wake up at three in the morning. Sure, you can. And, and believe yeah. me, yeah, you you can. I. I went to bed at nine, so I made sure to go over to bed early, and then I would wake up early. I get six hours of sleep. Now it's not ideal, but for me to start writing after a long day when my brain is already fried, it doesn't make any sense. I just had to get my brain refreshed after a good night's sleep and start at three. But when you have a book idea that needs to come out, like this idea had to come out, and man, I had self doubt. Uh, I mean, I'm talking self-doubt like no one could even imagine. Mm-hmm. And the only way to make the self-doubt go away is to write, because mm-hmm. writers write. Love it. Love it. Now, when it wasn't that, that 3 a.m. in the morning or that ideal time to write, and ideas came to mind, what tools did you use to capture those oh, ideas for later? Great question. I never left without an, I never left my house without a notepad. Uh, I mean, I, I have my that note app on my phone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'd be in meetings at work and I, you know, I have a great idea, and to the point where it was such a good idea that I, I would leave the meeting because I I didn't want to be in the middle of writing it down and someone interrupted me and then have it being lost <laughs> forever. Right. So you're like, what's up with this dude? Keeps going in and out of the meeting. <laughs> like I, if it was something that really needed it, yes. I. I would never leave without some way to record ideas because if you think you'll remember your idea, oh. you will not. You just, just, you'll never remember it. Pull over to the side of the road if you're driving, do whatever you need to because these ideas come. There's a book called Big, Big Magic by Liz Gilbert who talks mm-hmm. specifically about how these ideas kind of come and go and who knows where they come from, but when they come, man, catch it. And don't be the person like, oh, this is such a good idea. I'll remember when I sit down to write. You won't. You won't. Mm-hmm. So that was a big thing. I would capture ideas, and I'd, it actually made it so much easier. I'd pull out my pad or open up my note app on my phone and be like, all right, now I have some ideas, and now it like jogs my memory, and I sit down and I would type. And it made the process easier. Nice. Because the process already is hard. So, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I think that make it easier is important. Awesome. Nice. Now tell us, how did you find your editor and was what was it like working working with an editor? Let me let me start over. <laughs> sure. So tell us, how did you find your editor, mm-hmm. and what was the editing process like for you? Yeah. So I my editor was through my publisher, Sterling Publishing. So I was assigned a wonderful editor, Kate Zimmerman, who was brilliant. This woman is just I'm just brilliant, and she just has an eye for stuff that you know I I just didn't see. And what was cool is that when I got my book and I typed it up, and this is a big, huge Word document, and you send it <laughs> off, right? So it doesn't look like anything. Like it was just a super long report. And she would take it and find areas. Because what's interesting is I write nonfiction. So I, my thing is business books. Yeah. And you hope, and it seems like kind of funny to say this, but you hope that 
you don't contradict yourself, right? right. Like, hey, in chapter eight, you said this. In chapter one, you said that. Right. So, like, it seems silly. Thankfully, I didn't do that. But one thing I like is I have a lot of go-to phrases that I use a lot. And I kept saying one of the phrases that I use a lot in my book. Well, thankfully, not in the final copy. In the main, I would always say um, the term when someone throws you under the bus. That was my term. I would use that term like over and over again. It's like, you know, in chapter 7, 9, 11, and twice in chapter 16, you use the term, can we use a different term? I'm like, sure. <laughs> I never knew that I did that, right? So it's a 70,000-word book. You're going to have some, re- some repeats. That was helpful. Um, so she would give me the edits. And just like in a Word document, you see like the track changes and stuff like that. So she would give me my edits. And she and there's some ideas that I really want to fight for. Like, I really want to stay in the book. I know that seems a little weird or kind of worded differently, but I want to fight for that. We'd have a discussion about it. And she's like, listen, I'm not going to die. If you really want that, cool. There's some th- many things that she saw that improved the book, streamlined. It's like, oh, my God, that's great. Thank you. The editing process for a writer can be tough because there's a lot of ego involved. Like, yes. Do you feel like, oh, I thought I, you don't like this paragraph? I work so hard. And it's like, she has the same idea. Editor has the same idea that you, she's like, man, this one's this book to be the best book possible. And that's all, we're on the same team and we were. I mean, she, she is fabulous. So for her, working with her, she's a great communicator. So it made it very easy. I just knew that her intentions were so pure for the book that she believed in the idea of the book so much that it just made it so easy to take her suggestions and run with it. And thankfully, it was a very... It didn't take long, the edits back and forth. Like, maybe I had... um, I sent it to her. The initial edit, she gave me two weeks to turn it back to her, worked kind of back and forth. So we didn't want the edit process to go on. I think it was back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, three times, and then it was done. Wow. Yeah. She made it super easy, so that's all her. I wish I could take some credit for that, but um, I she made it super clean for me. It made it a lot easier. Wow! Thank you for giving insight into that for us. Yeah, it's fun. Well, no, it's not. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 she made it as painless yeah. as it could be. That's good. <laughs> How did you know when you were done with the book? I mean, when you were writing, even before you gave it to her for editing, how did you know that? Okay, that, that's it. Done. No, that that is the hardest point for any writer because if you'll look at, I'm sure when my book arrives in the mail today, I'm going to read it and be like, oh, why did I say this instead of that? You're never done. It's just never done. There's no such thing as being done. The book is this living document that has your thoughts and your hopes and your dreams and your ideas in it. And as a human being that's growing, you're always going to find a better way to word something, a better way to say something. You just get to the point where you realize you can't take it any further. You can always find something else to add, but eventually, this to me sounds like somewhat of a cop-out to say, this is good enough. Now, you know that you've pushed as far as you can. You can just stick with this and fight it and tweak it until the end, but that's just a weird form of procrastination, perfectionism that's not going to get the book into the hands of the people who need the information. So I had a deadline to get my book done from the publisher, and I and I literally, up to the minute before I sent it to them, tweaking and twisting it and changing, and yeah. I And then someone just said, like, Shola, this is, this is a friend of mine. Like, it's done. Send it off. Mm. And it was hard because I was like, oh, but I don't know if this is any good. And I'll tell you, John, it, it would help me a lot with this. And this may help someone who's struggling as well because I struggle with this a lot. Was this idea of when's the book going to be done and is the book 
Good enough. I struggle with self-doubt a lot. I think a lot of it came from being bullied. Nothing else good enough as a kid, even though my parents were fabulous and were helpful. I went to a conference recently, the American Library Association. Um, they have about 20,000 people there, and they have an annual conference, and this one happened to be in Orlando, Florida. And there was this event called the Bookalicious Breakfast, which was really cool. Oh. And they had a, they had a great day. And a couple, of, like six authors were on this panel. And prior to the breakfast, we're all sitting together and we're talking. And I said, hey, so I'm talking to these authors that are accomplished authors. I'm this no-name with this book that's yet to come out, right? And I asked a question like, hey, what's the hardest part of the writing process? What's the hardest part of making it, finishing your book? And this one author who was super accomplished was like, oh my gosh, well, question the self-doubt. Like, I would sit and I would write and I'd be like, oh, this is horrible. And I'd run away from my laptop and I'd cry in my room in the fetal position. And then I'd drag myself back to the laptop and I'd try to fight and type through my tears until finally the book was done. And every other author that was there, like, oh my gosh, that's me too. So hearing all these authors who are so accomplished, all sharing this feeling of like self-doubt, like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. That changed my life. I'm like, then the author said, self-doubt is part of the writing process. It doesn't mean that you're writing. Everyone thinks their writing sucks. Everyone thinks that their book is not good. Everyone thinks that they're smarter people out there that could deliver this message better than they could. Everyone feels that. And when I realized that it doesn't make me different, it makes me common, I was like, oh, I can write then. So it's okay if I don't think my writing's good because you know what? Everyone else, but it's so much better than you think it is. Your writing is so much better than you think it is. It is so much better than you think it is. Awesome. Awesome. So this title, Making Work Work, where'd that title come from? Was that at the start of your writing or did it evolve over time? Yeah, it wasn't at, it came at the very end. That's kind of weird. I wrote the entire (laughs) book without a title. Is that weird? (laughs) Wow. I didn't have one. I I didn't know what it was going to be, but I realized at the end, like, work is not working for me. Like, I hear a lot of people who said, like, my, my, I am, I'm working too hard. I, I have bosses that, that, that treat me horribly. We don't communicate well. We don't deal with conflict well. I'm so much gossiping and passive aggressiveness. And I come to work. I, I realize that people don't dislike the work that they do. They dislike who they have to do the work with. Ooh. And so for me, I was thinking like, what if there's a way to make work work? I'm like, ah! <laughs> yeah, let's try to make it work work so in, in the in the tagline is a playoff of my blog the positivity solution so the positivity solution for any work environment so just remind people that this positive change thing is real it's possible it takes effort for sure however i wanted to create a movement around this i'm not this is not a book for to be passive i at the risk of sounding like a Miss America pageant contestant, I want to make the <laughs> I want to make this world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I know that the more people that get on board with not accepting incivility and rudeness as the price for working in a grown-up world, this is about changing how we communicate. And when I said earlier about ending generations of professional suffering, I'm serious about that. This is going to take action and not just someone sitting on the some HR is not going to come to save you. You're not look some employment employment survey is not going to save you. Yeah. We need to save ourselves. Yes. It's up to yes. us. Yes. How'd you decide on the cover? <laughs> oh, so it has the word work and then work again, but the second work is like reversed. Yeah. Right? I, the, the idea is that, well, there's two, I'll tell you, I'm going to answer your question, I'll tell you the story behind sure. it. So 
the idea is that work has been going in one way mm-hmm. for the same for this long period of time and it hasn't been working and i want to flip it on this head it's time to do things differently now by making go and the the smiley face that you see is my logo that's a, the logo for the positivity solution ah. and yeah so that's where that comes from i can tell you for those folks who are figuring out or trying to figure out this whole book thing cover thing specifically is people judge a book by its cover Mm-hmm. I mean, not like that's, I mean, that, that old <laughs> saying is true. If you think the title matters, but the book, the, the cover, the initial cover for the book was horrific. Mm-hmm. It was so, it was like, picture like, it was bright yellow, my least favorite color. And, um, uh-huh. and it had one of those like smiley face, like Walmart greeter pins, you know, smiley yeah. faces on yeah. it. And it, it looked like some like teenage like like journal or diary like like no business person gonna pick this book up. I mean it was just like, and I saw it in like abject horror. I was like I I can't. Yeah. I, I I did not kill myself at three in the morning for close to a year to have this cover on the book. I just can't do it. Gotcha. So interesting. What I did was um, we worked with the publisher to kind of come up with some different ideas. I proposed some and and worked with a couple of other designers and. Thankfully, we decided on this cover, and I saw it initially. I was like, "Yeah, that to me is a little bit cleaner, and it has more of the a business type of feel for it versus the idea of it just being something like." Because if I saw the other book, I'd be thinking like, "Oh, make your work work. Just smile and just right. like this is the hard stuff. This is like the really stuff that's going to require us to create a movement about how we treat each other at work." That's cannot be conveyed in a book with a with a really cheesy yellow smiley face thing on it because mm. I want my book to help everyone I don't care if you work in the fruit court at the mall if you work in the accounting firm downtown if you work as a flight attendant a blackjack dealer in Vegas a customer service call rep any single person who is feeling like their work could be changed if people treat each other better at work this is there to help them nice nice now we have a few more questions left. And yeah. The next question is: You were published. You were not self-published, but no. you have a publisher. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go that route? Uh, well, it's interesting. So I was writing my blog, and 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 that's a, not to jump the question, but just a side note mm-hmm. for anyone who's wanting to write a book: start a blog, man. It's the mm-hmm. fastest way to get feedback and potentially get discovered wow. and to see if your ideas actually work. So I wrote the book, my blog, The Positivity Solution, for a while. A publisher, an agent found me, first literary agent oh. found me. It's like, hey, I kind of dig your blog. It's kind of cool. I think you could make a book out of this. I'm like, oh. At first I thought I was being punked. I was like, really? <laughs> like, yeah, come on. Like, and so that was incredibly. Wow. And, and I was talking to my publisher and to my agent, and they're like, listen, this happens all the time. We're looking for blogs and upcoming people with voices that actually matter that could write a book. Because to them, it makes their job easier. They can yes. find someone who has proof of concept That's already right. online and people are already digging them and following them. That's easy. So highly recommended. And it's not, it's so cost, it's not cost prohibitive to start a blog. You can just throw one up there and get started tonight. So that's one thing. Um, for me, I when I was discovered, I got a book deal. I was like, oh my gosh, it makes me official and this that, and the other. But publishing has changed so much, and I am, I'm glad that I'm through a traditional publisher. However, if there's someone out there that's thinking about self-publishing, I highly recommend that too. One, you get to keep more of your the money for your book, right? So if your book you sell your book for twenty dollars, you're getting twenty dollars for each sale of your book. 
and you have more control over it. The traditional publishing now is, I wrote my book and you have to wait for marketing and the lead time and it has to be part of the fall schedule and you got to be more patient. If you finish a book tonight and you get this thing marketed and put in a nice little, a nice little package, get a good cover for it, and you can go on 99designs or any of these areas to get a really slick cover. You could have your book ready within you know, a week after finishing it. Now, I finished my book in, in about the, I finished my manuscript probably early 2016, and the book's coming out September 6th. So it's like nine month lead time. So that's just how it works in traditional publishing. But if you're self published, there's advantages to both. But here's the real deal. If you have a book, no one is going through your book like, let me see, who's the publisher? No one cares. No one cares about who the publisher is. Maybe people, that are in traditional media may care. However, but people who are reading the book, they're taking the information and running with it, they don't care about the publisher. So if you're spinning your wheels trying to get a traditional publishing deal and using that as an excuse to hold yourself up from creating the book, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Publish it, get it out there. And if it succeeds, I've seen people who've gotten their books optioned by traditional publishers. They're like, listen, I love your book. I want to buy your book. And then boom, it could go that route too. So don't let that stop you. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. So how did you celebrate after everything was handed over to the publisher and you were done? <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because, I mean, I was like, first, like, best celebration, I got to sleep. I mean, I was like, I realized that was amazing. I still had, like, PTSD, and I wake up at 3 in the morning anyway. I'm like, ah, I can sleep in. I don't need to do this anymore. So um, I celebrated hard. I mean, my wife and I, we had a nice night out. We got a babysitter for the girls. Had a great night of just drinking, dancing, just having a great time to celebrate. That was really, really fun. Um, back like we were dating again. That was beautiful. And just... The idea of realizing that as you accomplish something, you finish something. And for me, I'm a huge starter and a terrible finisher. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the worst finishers. I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible finisher. So to me, this took on even more of a moment of celebration because I actually finished something and that built my self-esteem. I was like, I could actually do this again if I needed to. Mm-hmm. So that was hugely impactful for me. And it was really worth celebrating because I don't think we often celebrate the successes in our life so much we don't take the moment to so i did and when and when my book finally arrives in the mail today um I, or ups i will have another celebration and celebrate that because it's a moment that really mattered and i and i feel very proud of this accomplishment and anyone who's writing a book i know they feel the same way about the work that they're working on as well excellent excellent so now before we wrap up Shola, share a short, actionable tip that you feel will be beneficial for someone who hasn't yet finished a book. You've shared some some amazing jewels. Oh, great. Thank you. Is there <laughs> one more tip that you have that will be beneficial to someone who hasn't yet finished or stuck somewhere in the process? Oh, absolutely. Uh, best advice that I had to learn the hard way because I'm thick-headed, so I learned all my advice the hard way, is when you're writing your book, do not edit while you write. Mm. This is something that was, that was really transformative for me. So what I would do before I learned this advice is I would write and I would just agonize over a paragraph and go back and then I tweak it and then I go on to the next paragraph and I'd edit it again. Just complete the first draft and then go back and edit. Do not edit until the first draft is done. This sounds really, for some people, maybe counterintuitive. It's not at all. 
the idea of completing the work first. Editing is so much easier than creating, right? So when you focus on the creative part of it and just completing your book and just getting that part done, then edit afterwards, what that does is give you so much power because you're now looking at stuff that you're going to be, your brain is already going to be hypercritical over your stuff anyway, so you'll never get out of the starting block. So always be editing the first paragraph. But when you come back to that work later, you're like, oh my gosh, this is actually pretty good. And it saves you an enormous amount of time. And that actually will get you closer to book completion than you ever would if you edited during the process. So specifically, do not edit while you write. Complete the first draft. Then, and only then, edit after the first draft is done. Nice. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So now I want to find out what have you created in the past such as your blog that you'd like to share with the audience? How can they find that? Yeah. And how can they reach you? Sure. So the easiest way to find me is at The Positivity Solution. So www.thepositivitysolution.com. And hopefully that will be in show notes. I'm sure you can find it there. Mm-hmm. Also, too, uh, my book is one mm-hmm. I'm on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or wherever fine retailers are. Um, Making Work Work is the book. So you can find it there. And on my website, you can connect with me through Twitter, Facebook, my email is available as well. Um, happy to chat with anyone with any questions. Uh, my email is right on the website, so feel free on the contact link to check me out. And I would be happy to connect with you there at any time. It would be an honor. Thank you so much, Shola, for the interview, sharing yourself with us, and sharing some amazing tips for those authors who are stuck somewhere in the process. <laughs> right on. Thank you. So would you do us the honors? Yes, of course. My name is Shola Richards author of Making Work Work, the positivity solution for any work environment. And you are listening to the Please Finish Your Book podcast with me and John P. If you haven't published a book yet, please finish your book. Thank you, Shola Richards, for finishing your book, Making Work Work. And thank you for sharing your message and your advice with the world. For some quick highlights of what was covered in this episode, check out the show notes on your mobile app or at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash zero one two. Erica, thank you for telling everyone about the nickname my mom used to call me. (laughs) Please close out the show for us. Did you learn enough to help you take the next step toward finishing your book? If so, share the show and let us know by visiting pleasefinishyourbook.com and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hashtag please finish your book.